0: Good morning, church. Good to be with you this morning. How's everyone doing? You guys good? You might notice I'm not Pastor Darren. (laughs) We're both tall. He's way older than I am, though. So that's how you can tell the difference. Um, (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, Pastor Darren is uh, taking a little, just got a few days off, and I got to. Travel a little bit with his with his wife, and so continue to keep him in prayer as he gets to refresh and relax and uh, and continue to uh, bring us the word in the future. I will say this: um, I I very much appreciate Pastor Darren <laughs> bringing us the word every week. Um, I don't preach very often, but even when I do, it's just it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of effort and energy, and he's. Uh, he's been blessing our church for for 25 years, and um, so so when you do see him, tell him thank you. We appreciate him. So thank you for being here with us. Thank you for joining us online for those of you that are um, in your homes and with people. We're, we're so glad that we get to be together. If this is your first time here, um, I want to say a special welcome to you. We're so glad that you chose to Um, to come and worship with us. Also, I've seen, it seems like every week I see uh, faces of people that are returning in person. So even this morning I saw several people that I haven't seen in a long time, and it was uh, such a blessing to just get to worship together, to be together, Um, and I know that that God has some good stuff for us this morning. So um, we started just a couple weeks ago, we started in the book of 1 Peter, the book of 1 Peter. And Pastor Darren uh, shared with us the last couple of weeks in First Peter, um, and I just want to give you a little bit of a, a summary of what first Peter um, the, the goal of it, First Peter is. Um, Peter is writing to the, the Christians in Asia Minor. He's writing to these um, these non-Jewish, for the most part, non-Jewish Christians. A lot of them are new Christians. And he's writing to them in Asia Minor. That's kind of modern-day Turkey. So if you look it up on a map, you can kind of see where this letter was traveling around to all these churches, probably some smaller churches, some newer churches. A lot of these people, because they're, they're not Jewish, they have a, a background of lots of different gods, all sorts of things like that. Um, and so Peter is writing them to encourage them, especially because a lot of them are... Um, are living under persecution because of their faith. Um, in fact, he even calls them exiles, not because they're not even from that area, um, but because they're, they're kind of exiles in their land because of their belief in Jesus, because of them walking with Jesus. And so Peter is writing them to encourage them in their faith. Um, and Pastor Darren covered uh, verses 3 through 12 last week where he Um, reminded us and that Peter was reminding these Christians to embrace that living hope, to endure trials, and then to enjoy their salvation. And today we're going to continue in 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll be covering verses 13 to 25 this morning. I do believe that that God has some good things through his word, that God is going to speak, not me, but that God is going to use this time to encourage us and challenge us and and convict and all those things. So I'm actually going to ask you to do something a little bit out of the ordinary this morning. We're going to go a little bit old school here, and I'm actually going to ask that you would stand as we read this passage of Scripture together. Would you stand? It'll be on the screen, but you can follow along in your Bibles. I'll be reading out of the uh, ESV, English Standard Version. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls but the word of the Lord remains forever and this word is the good news that was preached to you. Let's pray together. Holy Father we praise you for your word. We praise you that your word is living and active. God that it's you who do a mighty work in our hearts through your word. And Father I pray that you that your Holy Spirit would do a mighty work in this place. Lord I'm thankful that um, that you change hearts, that you change minds through your word. And so pre- um, speak powerfully through me this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. <clears throat> well, there's a lot of things going on in this passage, and, and honestly, we don't have time to cover every little detail of what um, Peter is saying in this passage. And so um, this is a challenge to you all the time. I hope that whatever you receive on a Sunday morning, whether you're with us in person, whether you're online, that you would use that as a, um, something that just wets your appetite to dig deeper throughout the week. I hope that this is not your only spiritual meal this week that you dive into God's Word, that you dive into this passage more, that you ask God to continue to show you what He wants you to see, what He wants you to hear, of course, this morning, but also throughout the week. Um, we hope that God's Word is, um, is a daily part of your routine. Um, and So uh, if we really had to kind of put a blanket um, a topic on this piece of Scripture— Um, The the main point of this scripture, I believe, is that Christians should live differently than the rest of the world. That Christians should live differently than the rest of the world. We should be set apart. Our salvation and our trust in Jesus should change every area of our lives. Um, Some people just like to cherry pick when it comes to Christianity. Okay, they say, well, I want this and I want this, but I don't really want this and this and this. You know, I really like the idea of eternity in heaven with God. and all that that is, you know, but I don't like the idea of living a changed life and being surrendered to God. Um, if you call yourself a Christ follower, if you've been following Christ for a long time, I hope that, that people notice something different about your life, that they can see that there's a difference, and I hope that that difference is not being judgmental and legalistic, sometimes that's what people see. When they think of Christians, they think of judgmental and legalistic people. And I hope people see a lot more than that, um, especially if you've been following Jesus for a while. If you've been, um, if you're a more mature follower of Christ, we should look different, okay? Have any of you ever been judged on your appearance, on your appearance, the way you look? Okay, oftentimes people mistake me for a bodybuilder, all right? (laughs) just because of my, yeah, I, I mean, it's just, I know, it's weird. Um, and I say, no, guys, I don't really lift. Um, <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. Um, people come up to me and they say, hey, how many kids do you have? Because you got a nice dad bod, all right? Um, <laughs> but like, when, when we look different, people, people might judge us, okay, because of the way we look. Um, and, and bodybuilders look different, <laughs> okay? There's, there's guys that have like Arms that are about as big as my waist. Okay, <laughs> Steve Shive right here. He's like, okay, he could he could break me if he wanted to. All right, um, but but people look different because of what they do. Football players look different. Basketball players often look different because they're they're toned, they're tall, their muscles, all sorts of things. Right, and and as Christians, of course, we shouldn't look differently probably on the outside. Although in the 90s, I definitely had my share of rocking some some corny Christian T-shirts. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Um, even now I'm still rocking a WWJD bracelet, okay, um, 1997, okay, um, but, but we should look different as Christians, should look different on the inside, the way that we treat people, and so Peter's using this passage to encourage, encourage these people's theology to affect their ethics, he wants what they believe about God and what they be, who they believe God to be and their experiences with God to, to change the way they view what is right and what is wrong. Friends, we cannot, we cannot, as followers of Jesus, derive our ethics, what we believe to be right and wrong, based on our feelings. Okay? Our feelings. Because our feelings are all over the place. Right? Many of you have had feelings of really wanting to hurt somebody. (laughs) That doesn't make it right, right? Many of you have had feelings that you want something that you don't have the money for. Okay, that doesn't make it right. We can't base our ethics on our feelings. We can't base our ethics on society. Okay, a lot of what society believes is good, that's great. Most people have these these good ethics, but a lot of society has some pretty messed up ethics. And we cannot base right and wrong on what society says. We can't base right and wrong on what the law says. There's a lot of good laws, okay? There's a lot of good laws. But there's some laws that are are against God's word. There's some things that our law says is okay that is not okay. And so as followers of Jesus, we need to base our ethics on what we know to be true about God and what we know to be true in God's word. And this should be the most important thing. This should be what we base everything about life on, about what God's word says. If God's word says it, if God's word says it's right, then it's right. And if it says it's wrong, then it's wrong. And it doesn't matter what other people say. I've told our students for lots of years, if you hear me say something that goes against God's word, I'm wrong. I'm wrong, not God's word. And so please, like, come and correct me. Come and tell me, oh, here's what God's word says. Because God's word should be where we derive our ethics from. And so there's four kind of primary ethics that I think Peter is is calling these persecuted Christians to that, that he's calling us to also, that we can take away from this passage. And so in verse 13, we're going to start kind of at the beginning again. It says this, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Believe that the first thing Peter's calling us to, that God is calling us to through Peter, is to allow hope to change your mindset. Allow hope to change your mindset. Pastor Darren um, really kind of landed on this point of living hope last week. And I just want to remind you of a couple things because as Christians, there's something different about the way that we hope. There's something different. Peter's saying that because of hope we have that comes from Jesus, we need to be ready to have our minds focused on that hope. The only thing that truly matters is Jesus and the hope that we have in him. How many of you watched the debate on Tuesday night? <laughs> okay. How many of you have more hope because of the debate on Tuesday night? <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. It's a reminder. It's a reminder that we, we can't put our hope in men. We can't put our hope in our government. We can't put our hope in our retirement, in the economy. We can't put our hope in sports teams. We can put our hope, we can put our hope in Jesus. And Jesus alone, most people define hope as this wishful thinking, okay, wishful thinking. I I hope it rains today. I hope that the Broncos win the Super Bowl. We know that's completely false hope right now, okay? This year, there's no hope in that, all right? There's no hope, way more hope in being a Chiefs fan this year, that's hard for me to say, all right? But, okay, but we live in the past, Super Bowl 50, that's Super Bowl 32 and 33, that's all you can hold on to now. But I can't put my hope, I was putting my hope for a little bit in like the avalanche this year, and then they lost in the playoffs. And then the Nuggets, <laughs> and they lost in the playoffs. They did good, the future might be good, who knows. But there's no hope in those things. There's no real hope. I used to actually let football like affect my attitude. <laughs> for, you know, that afternoon or day or whatever it was. You'd just be bummed out. Like why? It doesn't matter. None of that money's coming to me. <laughs> All right? It matters to the people that are make, making money off of it. But it doesn't really matter. Our hope is in Jesus. Hope is not a wishful thinking like I hope it rains today. It's a confident expectation. That's the biblical definition of hope, a confident expectation. And we can live with a confident expectation that we're saved from our sin because of Jesus, because of his death, and because of his resurrection. We can have a confident expectation that Jesus is returning, and that there is so much more to life than government or economy or sports, that because of Jesus, my life on earth is different. Because true living hope changes our outlook on life and on death and it's because of hope that we can have true joy and true peace in a world that does not have joy and have peace. Romans 15:13 says this, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I have been to um, a whole lot of funerals in my lifetime. And a lot of those I've been to because I work here at the church and I've got to help with a number of funerals and serve in some way during funerals. And so I've been to lots and lots of funerals. And even just recently, I, I, um, I've been to three funerals here at the church. Jim Vaughn, Tino Savala, and a lady named Debbie Dragna, who some of you know. And at all three of these funerals, even though there was sadness, there was an incredible amount of hope because these three people knew Jesus and walked with Jesus and trusted Jesus. And, and the hope was that their life, even though it's over on this earth, their true life is just beginning in heaven with Jesus. There is hope at a Christian funeral, even if it's somebody who went home too soon who died too soon, even when it's a young person who knows Jesus, there's hope. But I've also been to funerals of people that that hope was lacking, that I didn't, and most people didn't know that they, if they had a walk with Jesus or not. (laughs) And if most people don't think you had a walk with Jesus, you probably don't have a walk with Jesus, because it's not evident. It's not evident in the way that you live, the way that we look as Christians and so Peter's reminding these persecuted Christians that they can have a deep and abiding hope, even in the midst of the persecution that they're facing. Hope changes the way we think about eternity. Guess what? On November 4th, I'm still going to have hope. I'm still going to have hope. Because Jesus isn't being voted off his throne. Okay, I don't know who's going to be the next president, and there's certain things that I hope for and don't hope for. And there's certain things about government that I hope for and I don't hope for. And I want my ethics to, to um, actually change the way that I might vote. But Jesus is still king and I still have hope. And I'm thankful for that. And so what do we do with the hope that we have? We share it with others. We share it with others. We know the answer to hopelessness. And so then our our call as Christians is to share the hope we have and being sober-minded, be prepared to share the hope. Are you ready at any moment to share the hope you have in Jesus and how it changes your life, how it's changed your life for, for however long it's been? Maybe it's been a month that you've been following Jesus. How sad is it that That the people who have been following Jesus for for a month or two months or three months are usually way more excited about following Jesus than those of us that have been following Jesus for years. It's like we forget about the hope that we have. We're not as excited about it sometimes. I'm not saying that's always true. But hope changes the way that we live. And we need to prepare our minds to be ready to share that hope. So often we get distracted. (laughs) with so many other things. And the enemy, I think, and he loves that we get distracted. He loves the fact that we can spend hours and hours and hours watching TV, hours and hours and hours fighting with people politically online. Yeah, okay, you're gonna change their mind. (laughs) They're not gonna change your mind, you're not gonna change their mind. (laughs) We have a hope in Jesus that changes everything about us. And so the first thing Peter is calling us to do is to allow hope to change our mindset. The second thing is found in this next set of verses, 1 Peter 14, or chapter one, verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. God is calling us to live lives that are holy. (laughs) To live lives that are holy. It's super easy, right? (laughs) Super simple. (laughs) Just check that that box off and keep moving. I wish it were that easy. Peter starts the section off by referring to the readers as obedient children. He's using some identity language here. He's talking to followers of Jesus, to Christians, and he's reminding them that as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. He isn't saying to these, that these children have to be obedient for God to love them, but he's saying that, that they should desire to be obedient because God loves them and because they love God. And we all like obedient children, right? My parents had it super easy when I was growing up because of how obedient I was. Okay, like I never did the wrong thing. And so they, they had it super easy, not with my brother and sister, but with me. <laughs> um, no, that's not really true at all. Um, there are plenty of times that I did stupid things. Foolish things that hurt me, that hurt others. I am thankful that my parents taught me to, to know Jesus and to walk with Jesus. And so honestly, I do believe like I didn't fall into some of the, the some deep traps that a lot of people have in their lives. I love it that when my kids choose to do what's right, because we've tried to teach them to do what's right. It doesn't mean they always do. But when they do, it brings me joy. And when they do the wrong thing, it brings hurt and sorrow. It brings some pain. It doesn't mean I stop loving them. But it means I desire to help them do what is right. Because it's, their lives are going to be healthier and better. When you choose to do the right thing, in general, for the most part, your life is going to be way better than if you choose to do the wrong thing. If you choose to follow a life of brokenness and crime and drugs, it's oftentimes going to lead to death or jail, destruction, broken relationships. As God is calling us to be obedient, Peter goes on to remind them not to slip back into their old ways of living before Christ, but instead to be holy. Like I said a minute ago, I I'm, I'm really am I'm blessed that my parents taught me to know and walk with Jesus. And I really do believe that because they taught me that, that I avoided a whole lot of brokenness and pain in my life. It doesn't mean I haven't faced any. But some of you, many of you even in this room, could tell me stories of of the life before Jesus. Life without Jesus. And how hurtful and painful and destructive and broken that part of your life was. And then when you allowed Jesus to change your heart and to change your mind, how much, how better things are. How much more joy there is. How much less hurt and pain there is! It doesn't mean you don't face hurt and pain, but when you're pursuing holiness, it is so much better. And so, in order to live a life of holiness, we need to understand what it means to be holy. Being holy means to be set apart. And God is perfectly holy. He's perfectly holy. He's completely separate from sin. First John one five says this: "This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light." And in him is no darkness at all. Zero darkness. He is perfect in his holiness. I think it's important to know that, like, on this side of heaven, we can't be perfectly holy. We can pursue holiness. We can grow in maturity. We can, we can be better and better at it as we grow, as we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. But on this side of heaven, we, we can't be perfectly holy. We have to rely on what Jesus did for us. God sees us as holy because of Jesus. through the cross, not because of who we are. We can be holy because of who God is, not because of who we are. We can rely on his Holy Spirit to help us do what is right. And Jesus wants us to obey him because of our relationship with him. I want to do what's right in my marriage because of my relationship with my wife, not because I have to earn her love, because she loves me and I love her and I want to do what's right. I want to do what's right. I hope that I have the attitude that says, I ha- that, that, that doesn't say I have to do this so that he will love me. I want to have the attitude that says I want to do this. I want to live in holiness because God does love me and I love him. Think of uh, um, the, the holiday Valentine's Day. <laughs> Valentine's Day, all right? Um, We all know that Valentine's Day was created by a whole group of women, right? (laughs) Um, Okay. And and Valentine's Day comes around every year and we're, you know, most of us guys are like, okay, we got to do something, some flowers and chocolate. And so I, like, a lot of times I do okay on Valentine's Day, but it really is, like, I love my wife, but it really is oftentimes out of obligation that I kind of, get her stuff on Valentine's Day. And I do love her. But a lot of times, that's how Valentine's Day works. It's kind of an obligation, right? And what if we, instead of like, okay, in four months, just ignore Valentine's Day like it doesn't even exist, all right? Um, (laughs) No, I'm just saying, what what if we did a good job loving our spouse and showing that love throughout the year? How much more valuable is it to bring your spouse a gift or flowers or whatever it is throughout the year, not only once a year on a day where it's obligated. I think that's what God wants from us. He doesn't just want your attention on Sundays. He doesn't just want your attention on Christmas and Easter. He wants, he wants your attention every day of the week. He wants you to pursue him in all that you do. He wants you to pursue holiness because he's God and he's always there. Holiness is knowing God's command and obeying them. And the only true way to really know God's command is is to know his word, to know his word. We need to be men and women of his word. There's some really practical advice here um, from Paul in Ephesians of of walking in his word and knowing his word. And if you're looking for ways to just start to pursue holiness, maybe this is the verse that you need to, to keep and write down and read and read and read this week because it's super practical on how we can pursue holiness. Ephesians chapter four says this, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption." Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Living a holy life takes intentionality. It takes effort. It takes energy. You're going to mess up, but even a part of pursuing holiness is what you do when you mess up you seek forgiveness from the person that you hurt? Do you seek forgiveness from God? Do you ask God for continued strength from his Holy Spirit? And so God is calling us as followers of Jesus to be holy. He's calling us to allow hope to change our mindset. And next, verse 17, 1 Peter 1. Since you call on a father who judges each each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. God is calling us to have a healthy and a reverent fear of God. So what does it mean to fear God? What does it mean to fear God? For somebody who doesn't know God, it it really is more of a, a fear of his judgment, a fear of eternity away from him. We should be afraid of the living God if we don't know the living God. There's legitimate reason to fear him because he is going to judge the earth Judge all the people of the earth. And he's going to separate people on his left and on his right. And if you're on the wrong side, there's, a, there's reason to fear him. But as children of God, for those of us that know God and walk with God, it doesn't have to be a, a, a fear that says, I'm afraid. It should be a, a healthy and a reverent, a deep reverence and respect for God and his power. Most of you in this room grew up with some type of father figure in your life, your your biological father or stepfather or or uncle or somebody. And we probably, most of us have a view of, of fathers in one of two ways. Okay, one, it was sometimes a harsh, hurtful, sometimes overbearing, angry view of a father that caused a lot of hurt and pain and brokenness. Or two, we see our fathers as some, uh, somebody who, who loved well, who was gentle, but also strong, somebody that we did have a healthy fear of. It was when, I, um, when I went to ask my now father-in-law for his, for, for his daughter's hand in marriage, that was a scary time in my life. That was scary. I was 19 years old, <laughs> 19 years old, and this guy is um, about as tall as me, but he's definitely bigger. And he has a much deeper voice. <laughs> um, and I was scared asking him. I had this like healthy respect and healthy fear. And if he started yelling at me, I just would have started crying. All right? <laughs> like just would have curled up <laughs> and started crying. And I'm thankful he didn't do that. I'm thankful that we got to have an honest, open conversation about what life is like and what marriage is like and that he loves the Lord and that he knew that I loved the Lord and was seeking the Lord in this. But I had a healthy fear and a healthy respect for my father-in-law when I asked him to marry Morgan. And as believers, um, we should have that same view of God. God that he's loving and gentle, but he is still the all-powerful God. He's the judge of the world. And we don't have to be afraid of him because Jesus already paid the price, but we should live with healthy fear and respect for his power and his might. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Deuteronomy says you shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name you shall swear he is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. You know what one of the most, one of the most powerful forces on earth is aside from God? <laughs> the United States military. The United States military. And I'm thankful that I'm on this side, I'm, on, I'm protected by the United States military, I'm not on the, the other side, I'm not terrorist organizations threatening the United States. Because those dudes are bad <laughs> and scary. And there's a force to be reckoned with. And I have a healthy respect for the power I'm so thankful for our military, but I have a respect for the power of our military because I'm on this side and I'm protected by them. I'm protected by the living God because I'm on the side of salvation, because I've accepted what Jesus did for me. And so we should have a healthy fear and it should change the way that we view God and the, the way that we view even things like discipline. When we have a healthy fear for God, we actually realize that he disciplines us. And that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And so what does fear do? It changes the way that we view God in a healthy way. And so those of you that have had a very, maybe broken relationship with an earthly father or earthly father figure, I know it's sometimes easy to project that onto God, and would you even ask God and His Holy Spirit for help in seeing him as the perfect heavenly Father instead of the broken Father that, we, that some of us had in our lives? As the final way that Peter challenges us to be different is, is found in these last few verses. This' is verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly, from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding, through the living and abiding word of God. I believe that the last thing that Peter's calling us to in this section of verses is to love one another deeply. Love one another deeply. As followers of Jesus, our love should be so different than that of the world. Because God's love is different than the world's love. The world's love is is feelings. The world's love is, is broken and messed up, and the world's love is often selfish. But God's love is sacrificing. God's love is perfect. And so we should be able to love other people well, and sometimes, of course, like we know it's hard to love people we disagree with. We know it's hard to, loves, to love, uh, for me, it's hard to love Raiders fans sometimes, okay? <laughs> I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. But it's, it's, it's hard to love people that we disagree with. It's hard to love people that, that we think are um, on the wrong side of whatever issue it is. But it's also hard to love our own family sometimes. The people that we should be able to love, (laughs) the easiest, it's hard to love those people still. You know why it's hard to love people? Because of sin. Because of my sin, it's hard to love people. And because of their sin, it's hard to love people. I have a hard time loving people because of their sin. And I have a hard time loving people because of the sin that I have. But God is calling us to love people deeply. Deeply to love people deeply and we can't truly love others apart from God. Jesus said this to his disciples. He said in John 13, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another if they believe the same thing. Um, excuse me, love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He doesn't say if you, you should love one another if they believe the same things as you. He doesn't qualify it. Love one another if they um, like the same teams you do, if they like the same food you do, if they're same, from the same country you are, if they have the same skin color you do. He doesn't qualify it. He says, love one another. And you're going to know that you're my disciples by the way that you love. First John chapter 4 says this, says, beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. We can't love on our own. We can't love on our own. And I want to kind of give you a little demonstration here of of how God's love works. So, <clears throat> you see some... Uh, Um, shaving cream here okay some shaving cream here how useful is this shaving cream inside the can it's not very useful right it's not very useful just in the can it doesn't really do much okay i could throw it at somebody (laughs) might hurt them Um, but i want this shaving cream to represent love okay and, and just remember this in order for there to be love inside the shaving cream inside of us we have to allow it to come from god we have to allow God to fill us up before we can then pour His love out. And this cup I want to represent other people in our lives. Okay? Yes, our family, yes, our friends, but what about, what about that coworker who just gets under our skin? What about those people that we describe as EGR, right? <laughs> Extra grace required. Right? Extra grace required. Yes. Woo. These are hard people to love. But when we allow God's love to flow through us and He first fills us, then we can genuinely pour out His love on others, and it should be like, a big deal. <laughs> like it should way overflow. It should overflow in the way. And, and guess what? The love in this can is pretty small when it's in the can. It's pretty, like contained. But then what happens to it? It expands. it expands. It grows. It grows. And God's love does an incredible work and miracle in us. Have you ever tried to, uh, have you ever tried to shave without any type of shaving cream and shaving gel? That feels good, right? <laughs> no. But when you use shaving, shaving cream, it's nice and smooth. And it makes it easier Because God's love, He wants to overflow his love in you and through you. And He wants you to love people so deeply that, that even people who hurt you. People look and say, How? How were you so kind to them even though they did that to you? Why did you treat that person differently even though they were such a jerk? Because God's love flows you, and it changes the way Christians, we are called to love one another deeply. And so why does it matter if we allow, whether we allow hope to change our mindset? Why does it matter if we pursue holiness or not? Or matter if we have a healthy respect of God? Or why does it matter if we love others? It matters because for some people, You will be the reason that they come to know Jesus or not. The way that you reflect Jesus. And some people will see you in the way that you act and they won't see love and they won't see godly fear and they won't see holiness. They'll see judgment and legalism. And they'll say, I don't want any part of that. I don't want to know that God because that God is hurtful and hateful. Or they'll see the Holy Spirit doing a work in your life. They won't even know it's the Holy Spirit at at first. But they'll see the Holy Spirit working in your life and they'll say, why are they different? Why do they have integrity? Why do they do what's right even when other people do the wrong thing to them? Friends, we have the opportunity to reflect Jesus so that people can come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. We reflect God Theology should affect our ethics because we reflect God and we want people to see more of God and less of us. For those of you that don't know Jesus, you can't do any of these things until you surrender your knee to Jesus. And so there's people in this room that I believe need to come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ who need to say, I need to bow my knee to him so that that I can have these things, so that I can pursue holiness, so that I can have a living hope, so that I can have, instead of an unhealthy fear of God, I can have a healthy fear of God so that I can love others well when they're unlovable. That's what Peter's calling us to in the book of 1 Peter, to a holy ethic that changes our lives from the inside out so that people can see that there's something different about followers of Jesus. So in a moment, I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to encourage you to do this. I'm going to encourage you to to evaluate. For those of you that are followers of Jesus, would you evaluate how you're doing in these areas and ask God for help Are you living with an incredible hope for both now and the future or are you overwhelmed with anxiety or fear? Are you pursuing a life of holiness that honors Jesus and others around you or are you allowing sin to control your life? Are you allowing a healthy fear of the Lord to help you continue to pursue holiness and allowing God's discipline in your life? Or are you ignoring how God wants to change you? Are you intimately loving others, deeply loving others with God's love? even when it's hard, or are you full of anger and bitterness? Would you evaluate those things and allow God to do a work in your life? And if you don't know this Jesus, would you, would you please like consider surrendering your life to him? And we're going to even have some prayer partners up. I'll ask some of you that are prayer partners after I pray if you'll be available. And as we dismiss service, you are more than welcome to come and, and talk to these people. If you want prayer for any of these things or anything we didn't talk about, please do that. Let's pray together. Holy Jesus, we praise your name. We thank you that you're good and that you're God. We thank you that, that through Peter, you gave us some challenge. And I pray that your word, your word would produce fruit in our lives, that it would change our hearts and our minds, the way that we pursue you, the way that we look to the outside world because of your word. I thank you for all that you do in our lives. Help us to love others well. Help us to pursue holiness. Help us to have a healthy, godly fear of you. Lord, help us to allow hope to change the way we live. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Church family, I love you guys. Thank you so much for being here. Um, If you'd like to pray with somebody, please, please, please feel free to come forward. Um, But you're dismissed. I hope you have a great Sunday.